OT Geniuses. My name is Jessica Lopez Hermanton, and I am the creator and founder of OT Genius. And you're listening to Pre-OT Secrets. On this show, we talk about how to get into occupational therapy school, how to do it in the most financially savvy way. And we also dive into the stories of pre-OTs, current OT professionals and students to learn how they got in and what their experiences were like. And so we're here to inspire, motivate, and encourage you throughout your OT journey and show you how you can be a successful OT school applicant and become the OT that you want to be. Now, on to the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to another Pre-OT Secrets episode. I am so excited about today's episode, not only because this particular guest pretty much also lives near me, but because, you know, we just share a lot of um, similar experiences from working in pediatrics and being influencers and being OTs of color and just uh, at the same time, just really to wanting to be an influence and a voice for future occupational therapists of color. So we have Michelle De Jesus on today, and I am just so excited. I am so pumped about today's episode and we're going to be bringing her back on again as well. So you definitely want to listen to the following interview when she is on again. So Michelle, thank you so much for being on. I am so grateful for you being on here. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Jessica, so much for that amazing intro. I, I feel like so much energy coming from you from <laughs> that introduction. <laughs> so thank you so much. I'm excited. Awesome. I, listen, I am a very big fan of what you're paying doing. And so that's probably also why I'm excited because I'm like, oh my gosh, I got Michelle on. This is so awesome. But, you know, like, I know that you have just a big heart for the profession. You have a big heart for just helping people. And like for those who want to get to know you a little bit more, what was your preoccupational therapy journey like? Like, how did you decide on OT? What was all that like? Well, in my opinion, I thought it was very unconventional how I stumbled upon occupational therapy, but I guess I'll take you guys all the way back. You know, I come from a Venezuelan and Puerto Rican background. My parents or my mom immigrated here from Venezuela. My dad's from Puerto Rico, first generation American. And just that experience alone, like I kind of really felt or the pressure of going to school and, and receiving education. And my father was a physician assistant for many years. And that's what I thought I wanted to do. All of us, so my two siblings included, we all really had this straight and narrow track of going into healthcare because we loved it. You know, that's what we knew. That's what my father always talked to us about. You know, there's so much I can talk about my own like personal history, but that's kind of what I'd always set my eyes on being in healthcare. So in college, uh, I'll say junior year was when I actually discovered occupational therapy. I really thought I was going to be a PA, but the more I got to know the, the PA profession, this is nothing against PAs. My sister's actually a PA now. But it's a great profession, but I never felt the feeling that I think you should feel when you're pursuing something like that, all that admiration, that 
you know, that drive that this is exactly what you want to do, that assurance. I never felt that. I always felt that I liked it, but I didn't feel like that connection, like something was missing. And then I discovered OT through the Best Buddies International organization at my university, which was a university of South Florida. I believe they also are the inaugural college that started Best Buddies International, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, I was a part of that organization where essentially you're partnered with a buddy that has a different ability or disability, like some people may know it. I like to say different ability. But, you know, working with those individuals and understanding their life trajectory and all the influences that they had, OT was something that frequently came up, you know, just their history of receiving therapy and how it helped them and things like that. And it wasn't the first time I heard of OT because ironically enough, I would take a lot of those personality tests because after I knew PA wasn't for me, I was like on the computer, like what profession would fit my personality? I have no idea. Like this didn't sit right with me, but what could I do? And OT was actually something that came up several times. I'm like, what is this occupational therapy? Like I thought what everybody else thought, like it's something about jobs or I don't know. I I kind of didn't have an understanding of what it was until I looked into it. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then when I had conversations with other people that were in the profession, I was in awe, especially I was kind of in contact with the pediatric OT and like just what she did and the impact she made is just unbelievable. So when I found out that they get to work so closely with families and with children and the relationship that they build it really inspired me because it really seemed like the perfect blend and the bridge between like the medical model, which is I liked because I grew up loving that. Right. But it was like that medical model, but also that familiarity, that warmth, that intimate, if you will, like relationship that you get to build with the people that you're working with. So you're really bridging like, you know, this science model with like their daily life, that sociocultural context. And I loved that because that's something that I feel like is so important. I don't understand why OT is so underrated or like not appreciated enough because if there's anything we need with all the issues that are happening in healthcare is a bridge between that, between the medical model and between like a person's daily life, because there's always a disconnect there. There's always something that maybe that, you know, healthcare traditional medical model wants you to do this, or like, this is what's best for someone with this condition, blah, 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 blah. But then what is the barrier of the person in their daily life that is impacting them from participating in their occupations? What is that? And and is that meaningful for them? So that's where I feel like the strength in our profession is. I kind of went on a tangent, but I really was able to appreciate that even early on as a student, I kind of had an eye for that. Like, wow, this could be really something amazing that I could make it my own and I could use my creativity because I always was drawn to being a creative person. I love the arts. I love music. I love being able to do something different every day. That's something that keeps me feeling alive. And I love the autonomy that we get as therapists where we're able to implement our own interventions that are meaningful to each person. It's not going to look the same every day. It's not cookie cutter at all. It shouldn't be at all, uh, this profession, because really it's dependent on what is meaningful to each person that you come across or each client that you come across. So that's really my pre-OT journey story. (laughs) I didn't know until junior year. Thankfully, a lot of the pre-med track helped me with getting into OT school, but that's how I really stumbled across it. and, And I was able to get in through there. That is so cool. I think that like, I don't know, like, I mean, just based on many conversations I just have with people on the daily I feel like it's very common to hear that like 
oh, I wanted to do something in healthcare and this is just where it led me. So I think that's a very common thing. I, that's also my story pretty much too. I always wanted to do something in healthcare. I actually thought about pharmacy school and I did not end up doing it because I was like, forget this bio class. I can't <laughs> even do chemistry. Like, this or not, yeah, no, I, I'm like, no. And, you know, so, but I ended up just, you know, finding out more about occupational therapy through a pre-PT friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I ended up finding out that AOTA's mission is basically helping others live life to its fullest. And I was like, no, that's it. Like, I got to just learn a little more. And, you know, I, I just 100% agree. Like, I forget, the, I like the exact quote verbatim. So if I miss, say one little part of it, but isn't there's a quote out there that it says like it, that occupational therapy is where science and creativity meet. Yeah, and collide or meet or I can't collide, words, yeah. I, but, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But I love that. And so like, you're so right. And so that's so cool. And so like, I think that any pre-OT listening and kind of decided like, this is a profession for you. I hope that that just kind of shows you that the type of profession that you'd be getting into. I, she, you mm -hmm. did a wonderful job just explaining that. So, and what was the, like the prerequisite classes like for you? You already had a lot of those because of the major you had then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like the anatomy and phys, the biology, the physics, kinesiology, I'm trying to think of any other specific abnormal psych, I believe was one that was required for me. And, yeah. and I think this is an important point for pre-OT students at every university is different and their requirements are different. So be sure to look for those because if you're interested in like what, four or five universities, you may not have the prerequisites for, uh, which actually what happened to me, you know, I had the prerequisites for maybe two universities that I wanted to apply to, but there was others that required like their specific course. So I would have had to yeah. take a course with that university to be able to get in. So that was something that, you know, no shade at FIU, but that was, <laughs> <laughs> or UF, uh, you know, for Florida people, but that was a barrier because then I would have had to have gone to that university to take their neuro or whatever course that they were requiring. I believe it was neuro. That yeah. was the one course that I yeah. couldn't take. Yeah. As an FIU grad, I know exactly what class you're talking about. So I know that they do replace it with like other things. What other class you would need to take? I don't know. That's another thing. Mm -hmm. Like I just have benefited. Like I know you were at University of South Florida at the time. Right. That it makes it difficult. Right. I was right. already back in mm -hmm. Miami. I had already right. graduated. So I was in Miami and then I wanted to go to FIU. And so I took the FIU one. And so like, but no, you're absolutely, I a hundred percent agree with you. Like, what if you're not in the Miami area? Like, what do you do? Yeah. You know? So that so. to me, we're talking about barriers, right? So yeah. that's a barrier yeah, for it people. Is. Like Miami is a very high cost of living area. Like exactly. I, I can go in about barriers that exist and in getting into OT school where we need to really analyze that. Like, is it really necessary for a student to have to take a specific course and a university to be able to get into the school where, you know, that can be very costly for someone. Imagine having to move to it. Now things are virtual, so it may be different, but back then it was not like that. And you had to like be on campus to take yeah. the course and think about like how much of a barrier that could present for a student that's trying to go yeah. to a public university, a public university that's way less expensive than a private university but there's a barrier. You can't get in unless you take their specific course. So those are things where I'm like, hmm, like we need to really analyze like what's what we've been doing as far as, and when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about universities, what universities have been doing because they really are the gatekeepers to our profession. They're yeah. the ones that are allowing students to come and pursue and enter our profession, truly. 
So that's something that is one of the areas we really need to harp on in the next coming years to ensure that we're reducing those barriers that exist for students. And this is exactly why I wanted to bring you on to the show so we can just dive more deeply into those sort of things as well. So yeah, it's just like you were saying, like, okay, if they have this one requirement, are there a substantial or a like, you know, relevant other courses that they can take in their hometown at a community college or Mm -hmm. at their local college that can replace that. And all of that sort of stuff really needs to be in place and things need to be definitely very well explained to the student about what class, especially to a student of color who may not have as many people, they're more likely to probably be first generation, you Mm -hmm. know, like both you and me were first generation. I had no Mm -hmm. clue really how to navigate the whole application system. And I had to figure things out myself and all this stuff. So, you know, the support needs to be there in order to make Mm -hmm. the gateway access a little bit more accessible to students of color. So um, I 100, yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And what are you doing now as an occupational therapist? (laughs) Like, you know, like, and where'd you end up going to school actually? (laughs) So I ended up going to school at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale. I did my master's, graduated in 2018. And I've been working in pediatrics ever since. I like to say dabbled a little bit in outpatient adult neuro because I worked at a setting where they treated adults and children, but for sure, the majority of my experience is in pediatrics. And specifically, I worked in a hospital setting and I still work there part-time, two days a week. And it really focuses on like neuro rehabilitation techniques. We work with kids, you know, from severe medical complexity to, you know, neurodevelopmental disorders like autism and ADHD. So my background with kids is pretty vast, in my opinion, for someone that hasn't been working, you know, that long in the field relatively, but it's because of the different settings that I've been able, thankfully, to be a part of. You know, I've worked in home health, I've contracted to several private clinics, you know, I still kept the hospital outpatient job. And, you know, I'm I'm happy to say that last year, I actually launched my own private mobile-based therapy, if you will, practice. So I've been seeing private clients through there. And it's been phenomenal to see kids in their natural environment, which was something that I didn't start doing until my second year as an OT. So it's been a lot. (laughs) It's been a lot that I've been doing, along with like some contract work with parenting magazines and things like that. I've had a lot of projects come my way. And all of that is really I'm really thankful for, you know, my Instagram and for like just my social media opportunities that have come up through there because I've always had this dream of helping people one-to-one. Yes, like I am as an OT, but also making services and just making my recommendations or, or, you know, helping at a broader scale. And I think that these projects that I've been a part of help to do that because I really feel like if we look at a public health model, we need to you know, get kids before they're even in OT. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of education that we could be giving to students, to parents, you know, to clients that they need. And it would be so helpful to be able to be more preventative in a way. And that's how I think about that um, and do work like that. You know, like, I mean, and it's just wild to think about that, you know, healthcare in general, and for many reasons that we could probably go on to forever. It really, I have a mentor that he says, he's like, I don't even call it healthcare anymore is what he says. He's like, I call it sick care, you know, because it's mm-hmm. true. We're not really focusing on health and wellness and keeping people. It's like, once there's a problem, that's when we'll try and react right. to things. You Very know, backwards. A, yeah. <laughs> so his perspective, and I, 
get it. It's like, why even call it healthcare? You know, it's, right. it's, it's sick care, you know, mm. is what it is. And, you know, cause we're not really being proactive about things and mm-hmm. trying to help children. If you're in pediatrics, reaching certain milestones and I, <laughs> that's a mm-hmm. whole different nothing, especially with current recommendations by CDC right. and all that stuff. But that's so awesome. Like, you know, and within OT, you can work with such a variety of clientele, people, populations, diagnoses. And, you know, I've even had diagnoses that I never even learned about in school or heard of, mm-hmm. you know, because they're so rare. And so like, it's just a very neat opportunity to work with these families and these people on a more intimate level to just help them do things that a lot of people just even take for granted, you know? Right. So, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, I would love to continue the conversation just about more universities and access and diversity within the profession and within OT programs. But but before we sign off here, do you have any words of wisdom for preoccupational therapy students listening in? Yeah. So for pre-OT students that are listening to this conversation, I want you to believe in yourself and to know your worth regardless of what any university may say, regardless of the barriers that exist, know that you are worthy and that, you know, things are changing and you are the ones that are going to change the status quo. So believe that, embody that, because there's a lot of change that needs to occur for our profession to to live up to what it really is. You know what I mean? Like the idea of OT is phenomenal, but I, I don't always think that it's being put into place. And we're relying on you all, the, the newer cohort of occupational therapists to come in and change that status quo. So believe in that power and really embody that because you all are really going to change everything. And, you know, I'm a newer, I like to say I'm still a newer OT, you know, three and a half years in, but, you know, I also feel like I'm pushing against the grain and we could definitely use the support of you all to continue to make this change that's so desperately needed here in the States in the Western world. So keep at it. And that's really my advice because it, you really are going to make more of an impact than you even realize. Thank you so much. That is wow. Like it, please hear that out. Take some notes. guys. <laughs> so other than that, I will see you in the future episode, Michelle. Thank you so much again for being on here and we'll talk again soon. All right. See you soon. Thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your day to listen. We hope that this has been of value to you and will get you one step closer towards becoming the OT that you want to be. One of the biggest problems I see is that pre-OTs, they try to do things alone. They do things in isolation and the connections that they have are minimal for many reasons. But we are changing that here at OT Genius and focusing instead on building a community for pre-OTs for them to have their first OT family and meet other pre-OTs current OT students and clinicians. To be a part of that awesome community, you can subscribe to our membership by going to otgenius.com. Just go to the tab, get me into OT school on the homepage and you can join our awesome community there. You can also find our social medias and ways to get in touch with us on the website. So thank you again and see you in the next one.